Nike and Jay-Z, I think they have a, if this was basketball, I call it like a court vision, where it's like they could see everything that's to come, and everyone doesn't have that. Welcome to the Can I Kick It podcast, with your host Showtime, and the dope chick East Rock. Now go ahead, enjoy your music, I know what you think. Check, 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 one, two, one, two, is this thing on, what's happening? Welcome to another edition of the Can I Kick It podcast, you know me, it's Showtime, Along with my lovely co-host, East East Rock, what up? What up, though? Glad to be back for another edition. I know we've been gone for a little bit, but we are back. We took a little break uh, for the summer. You know, we took some time off for the summer, just like the TV shows do. So this is season two of the Can I Can't Podcast. (laughs) We're back. The only thing about it, we didn't tell our listeners that we were going to take a break. So people were hitting us up, asking us where we were. But we're back. Uh, Back with another dope episode, some real good content, some real good uh, just quality conversations about music and about hip hop culture, and got a really good guest for today's episode. So, uh, anything you want to say before we get started? Just thank the listeners for checking for us continuously and for yeah. looking for us while we were away for a moment. Yeah. So, if this is your first time listening, we appreciate you. Uh, just go ahead and hit the subscribe button now. So, whatever you whatever you are using to listen to us, whether it be Apple Podcasts, whether it be Stitcher, whether it be Google Play. Go ahead and subscribe to us now so you can go ahead and lock that in because we got a lot of dope episodes coming up in the near future. Uh, also, just follow us on all of our social media platforms. On Instagram, it's uh, Can I Kick It Podcast. On Twitter, we are Can I Kick It Show. And you can also like our page on Facebook, Can I Kick It Podcast. Go ahead and handle all that now as we get into this new episode. You feel me? And if you're a new listener, go ahead and run it back and check out some of the previous episodes. Biz Marquee. Uh, Roxanne Shante, Rick Ross, Lord Finesse, Rich Medina, mm-hmm. various Keith Murray. episodes. A lot of real dope episodes in the past, and we're just going to keep the momentum going uh, and keep it popping with this episode right here. So I guess we got to get into it. So before we even talk to our guests and talk about who we got on the show, let's talk about some stuff that we've been listening to. Like, what music are you checking for? And Because a lot of people hit us up and ask us what we're listening to. So, you know, of course, we can't go through everything that's come out in the last couple of weeks or the last couple of months. But let's let's t- kind of talk about some of the staples that we've been listening to. Right. Well, just right now, um, I'm really heavily listening to um, Daniel Caesar. Um, his album came out, I believe, the end of August. Mm-hmm. Uh, called Freudian. I don't know and, who that is, so go ahead and... Yeah, if you're not familiar, just go ahead and look that up. Daniel, Daniel Caesar. Caesar. Okay. Um, just a really, really dope offering. I would check that out. And then I'm also checking for uh, Sid from the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, seemed like we just had an album from her, but she put out a little EP... Um, an EP called Always Never Home. And I feel like you can barely even call it an EP. It's only three songs. Oh. <laughs> but it's That's still... not an EP. That's just, <laughs> she just put some records out. That's not an EP. They're calling it an EP. Nah. I feel like you need at least five good songs Yeah, that's songs not an EP. an EP. She just put some songs out. So, but it has a title and everything. So, nah. Almost Never Home. Right. With the three songs. But the three songs are dope. Um, She always puts out, you know, something that you look forward to. So, yeah. I would check that out even though it's not lengthy. It is quality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's pretty much just what I'm into right now. Really? Um, okay. Well, I'm into this Apollo Brown and Planet Asia project. So it's called Anchovies. And it's really, really some mm-hmm. dope hip hop. Like, it's really, really some dope hip hop. I think this might be my first time really diving into uh, Apollo Brown's production. And Oh, um, I always really dig Apollo Brown's production. I'm yeah. always into it. And I just hadn't had a chance to check that one out yet. Right. Right, right. So yeah, anchovies is dope, man. It's, it's real good hip hop, actually, real quality um, hip hop from both of them. So I've been rocking with it for a minute. Um, That's what's up. Yeah, I will say I do want to listen to a little Uzi Vert's album. I haven't listened to it yet, but 
I do want to check it out. You I'm can a, handle um, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I do want to check out Lil Uzi Vert's joint. I haven't yet, but I will dive into it because I've heard good things about it, and um, I kind of like the guy. Like, I ain't even gonna lie to you. Like, I guess I, I, I kind of like Lil Uzi Vert. Again, you, you can have that one. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, so this episode. You're on your own, kid. <laughs> so this episode. So on the episode today, we have a legendary producer just somebody who you know we've kind of admired from afar for a very long time legendary he's producer from, from a, a legendary, legendary crew. crew absolutely um so you know he's just somebody who's been contributing a lot to hip-hop culture over the years somebody who has just you know provided the soundscape to a lot of dope projects you know from 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 mid-90s up until current day like he's still working still relevant and still um still been able to just put out heat you know, he's put out a lot of heat over the years. So if you don't know, this episode features producer Buckwild from the legendary Digging in the Crates crew. We've already spoken to Laura Finesse from the Digging in the Crates crew. I right. feel like we should just make that a goal to just check all of the members of DITC off. Yeah, that would be dope. And just have them all on the show. That would be dope. That would be dope. So, yeah, let's try to let's see if we can get Diamond on the show next. I would love to get that Diamond would be on dope. the show. That would be um, perfect. And then we can go out to show an A and... Yeah, I think that would be the the, the great a, a great, great way to yeah yeah because you know digging in the cracks have they they provided a lot of quality hip hop over the years and um, absolutely anytime we get to talk to any of those brothers I definitely think it's an honor from so, the production side as well as from the MC side mm-hmm, they got it covered mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so when we when we talk about uh, Buckwild and when we talk about DITC I think what we want to do is kind of look at our five favorite Buckwild songs mm-hmm. like our five favorite buckwild produced songs um and kind of run them down because he's contributed so much to hip-hop and he's contributed so much to uh what we do i think you know we got to acknowledge that and, and there's a lot of records out there that you know he's produced that people don't even know that he did and i feel like that's because um we we kind of talk about this in the interview but he doesn't have a specific sound there's not right. like a buckwild sound right. that you're like you know, oh, that's obviously Buckwild. He right. really is versatile, and he flows from you know uh, grittier, uh, more raw records mm-hmm. to more R and B ish produced sounding records. Mm-hmm. So he, he has a wide range. Yeah, and he's always been able to give us quality boom bap, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm always a fan of that. So always, anybody can give us quality boom bap. I'm with it. So why don't you run down your top five, and then I'll run down my top five. Oh, you want me to go first? <laughs> Ladies first. <laughs> okay, well. I just want to say that sometimes in life there is a tie. Oh my gosh. You well, always have a tie. Sometimes there are ties because literally they're both, you know, equal. Mm-hmm. So I have a top five, but some of the slots have a tied. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. Because sometimes you can't just limit it. There, you know, are two songs that are equal in your eyes. And how can you just pick one over the other? Oh. There's so much dope Buckwild content. <laughs> this is for not, me to choose this from. Is so not I, the way this is supposed I just to go. Wanted to, You're supposed to pick five records. I did pick five, but some of those five. No, have... it sounds like you picked 12. <laughs> and you've taken those 12 and you extended your list out because. I mean, it's Buckwild. Like, I, all I'm saying is that some of the songs. Have an equal in my eyes, and I couldn't choose. Between I mean, there has the to two. be some sort of tiebreaker. There has to be. It could be the artist. It, it doesn't have be... to be because it's my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, there has to be. There has to be a tiebreaker. I'm sorry. Okay, so I'm just gonna get into it. <laughs> <laughs> five, uh, number five. Uh, there did come in a tie. <laughs> <laughs> of course, there did. Let me ask you this: Does everyone have a tie? Absolutely not. 
How many ties do you have on your list, ma'am? Listen, let's just get into it. Oh, my gosh. Number five did end up a tied slot. Mm-hmm. Uh, G-Rap and Nas, Fast Life. Uh-huh. One of my favorite Buckwild joints. Right. And uh, tied with... Cor- <laughs> Stop! <laughs> so unfair. <laughs> tied with uh, Cormega, A Thin Line. It's a thin line between love and hate and you crossed it. Okay. Two uh, songs that I just love. Like that production on a thin line is perfect. And then Fast Life, the way G Rap and Nas just kind of get in that pocket and flow over that really smooth beat. Um, right. I love it. Okay. Four. There was a tie for four. <laughs> of course there was. Why wouldn't there be a tie for four? If there was a tie for five, there would have to be a tie for four. If there was a four. tie for four. Sure. Listen, this, uh-huh. is just how it lay, this is just how it played out. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, this is like the Canelo and Triple G fight. Like every <laughs> every round is a draw. Okay. I see how this is going to go. <laughs> I see how this rolls. Okay. Number four, the two songs that were tied for that slot, uh-huh. Black Rob Woe uh-huh. and Fat Joe, My Lifestyle. Okay. I mean, how can you not have my lifestyle on the list? Um, it's such a dope track. <laughs> and then also, whoa. Like, I can remember where I was when I heard whoa. Yeah, I, I remember really where you were when you heard whoa, too. Me. Yeah, it yeah. really arrested me. Is that I, when you were driving, like, the, the 97 Jetta, like the blue joint? The Yes, the older Jetta. Yeah, I remember that. And um, I think I was on the way. I was, definitely was on the way to work or from work. Right. Uh, with some homeboys of mine. And... It came on, and I was like, what is that? Like, mm-hmm. what is that? Who is that? What is that? Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know if I was familiar with Black Rob at that point. Right. But it just, the strings and just the production, it, it was arresting. Like, right. it really stopped you in your tracks and made you be like, wait, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of revived, radio, revived the radio at that point. Yeah, it, de- it definitely changed the soundscape of radio. Was that 99 or 2000? I want to say 99. Yeah, maybe 99 kind of going into into 2000 maybe. Uh, but it definitely changed the soundscape of radio and it changed um, the sound of hip-hop for, for a period of time. Right. And then you had like the remixes. It was one of those records that lived for a very for long, a long time. time. It right. didn't die, it seemed like, for three years. And But deservingly so. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. like one of those anthems that you hear. Who's on the world remix? I can't remember. Uh, world remix was Rodiga. The Brat and Beanie Seal mm-hmm. featuring Petey Pablo, Shine, and Lil C's. I don't right. remember. You remember all that? I th- yeah, I do. I do, actually. I do remember that. I kind of remember Digga. I kind of remember... I remember Lil C's. Yeah. I don't remember Petey Pablo and I kinda, Shine. Maybe. I don't... Maybe. That's a lot of people on the yeah. remix. Anywho, the song definitely had legs. Yeah, definitely. Live forever. So, you, I just feel like you can't have... A you know Buckwild top five list without either of those songs. Without Woe or Cormega, or my lifestyle. Oh, my lifestyle. Okay, Cormega was the tie at the fifth place. Of course, (laughs) aha, aha. Uh, Number three in the third slot. Let me guess. There's a tie. (laughs) (laughs) There's a tie. There just happens to be a tie. (laughs) What do you know, (laughs) man? Those those judges. Jeez Louise. That happens to be a tie. Listen, I can't help it if the man gave me so much content that, you know, this was bound to happen. Right. So in third place, tied at third place. Tied at third place, right. Uh, Faith Evans, I love you. Okay. And Biggie, I got a story to tell. Okay. I love both of these tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that you listen up for the in the, in the interview because 
Buckwell tells us, um, you know, the origins of both of those tracks. Definitely. But, um, like, that was a big, big record for Faith. Mm-hmm. That was when um, she came out with a new album. Like, she had lost weight. She was popping. Yeah, like, yeah. She was, you know, sexy in the video. Yeah, she was. All that um, fire was burning around her and that ice. And <laughs> she was just glistening all over her Calm body. down. Oh. Well, you know I love me some Faith Evans. So Blonde hair was popping. It was actually red. That too. <laughs> It was actually red hair. I know her boobs were popping. I know that. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Those were tied. How about that? But, um, <laughs> and how appropriate for Faith and Biggie to be tied how for the number three slot. I mean, ju- I mean, the judges just... That Biggie track, that uh, I Got a Story to Tell track is so legendary because right. it's it's a storytelling track. Like, mm-hmm. the, the way the track is set up, it's a, it's a track for a storytelling right. type of song. Mm-hmm. It's just perfect. In the number two slot, there's not a tie. Wow, there's not a tie for number two. Two and one, no tie. Whew, okay. Listen, I, t- <laughs> I go where the hip hop leads me. Okay. Okay. Those, those judges. Number two spot. Uh, big pun, nigga shit. Okay. How can you not have pun on the list? Like, I love that track, and puns flow over the track is it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, they tune for the interview where he talks about, where Buckwell talks about uh, working with Pun and, and what kind of relationship they had and, yeah. and, and how they um, played off of each other. But mm-hmm. you got to have Pun on there. Okay. Number one, I feel like this is real obvious, but number one, Time's Up, OC. Like one of the hardest no hip hop tracks. No, no it's, it's a clear number one. Clear cut number one. Time's Up, OC okay. was the clear number one choice for me. Right. You lack the minerals and vitamins. Iron's in the niacin. Fuck who did I appear? Rapper sit back. I'm about to begin. Bow, foul, talk your squall. Never even walk the wall. More or less destined to get tested. That's just like one of the hardest hip hop tracks ever to date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, what I tried to do with my list was keep it to... Um, <laughs> you didn't keep it to five. I know that. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's no. one thing you didn't do. What I tried to do was keep it to, um, you know, not more than one track by an artist by an on artist. the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, which is I, very hard to do. Right, because this could have been like three or four OC songs right, up here. Right, right. Um, so, I tried to keep it to one uh, track per artist. Mm-hmm. In the interest of just, you know, spreading it around. Right. But you didn't try to keep it to one song. I mean, I tried. I just was unable to. You didn't try hard enough. I definitely tried. I don't think you tried hard enough. I was unable to. So one thing that I think is dope about Buckwild. Great list, by the way. Ooh, one moment. (laughs) Let me guess. There's a a runner up. I have an honorable mention. Oh, okay. See? (laughs) Okay. Honorable mention, uh, Beanie Siegel, Look at Me Now. Hmm. I also love that track. I just couldn't see my way to leave it completely off the list, so I'm just going to give it an honorable mention <laughs> because, I mean, what else could I do? Folks, y'all see what I deal with? <laughs> do y'all see what we deal with on this here podcast? This is why we had to take a break because <laughs> someone does not know how to conform to the rules. I'm not here to conform. Of the I'm podcast. Ish going to be ish. Oh, my goodness gracious. So one of the things that I think is dope about Buckwild is that he is... Uh, one of very few producers um, that I can think of who has worked with Jay-Z, mm-hmm. Nas, Biggie, mm-hmm. and Pun. You know, for yeah. a lot of for a lot of folks, that's Mount Rushmore. Right. You know what I mean? Like for a lot of folks will tell you that that's their Those that's their are some top of the four. greatest rappers alive. Right. So I can't think of another producer off Excuse the top me, of my head. Greatest rappers that ever lived, right. not greatest rappers alive. Absolutely. Um I can't think of another pr- producer who can say he's worked with all of them. Um so I think and then well, even, um, you know, veterans like G-Rap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
you know, it's not everybody that can boast, um, you know, separate generations yeah. of MCs that they worked with. Yeah. So let's get into my top five. So yes, please. My top five is very clear cut. Um, I, I have certain songs that I love and that I have loved over the years. And those songs, it was it was very hard for me to to choose just five. Like, right. don't get it twisted. It was very, very hard. But That's why um, sometimes there's a tie in life. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, bro. So my uh, number five on my list, mm-hmm. Faith Evans, I Love You. Word. Now, I think to me, I love this record because this might be one of the first times, if not the first time that I can recall hearing Buckwild do R&B. Uh, I, don't, I don't recall hearing or knowing of any R&B records that he did at that time. And that record is just such a dope record. Like that beat is just so dope. And we'll get into the history of the record in the interview. Right. Um, but also it doesn't, and when you get into the history of it, you'll hear more, but it doesn't even sound like a, a hip hop record mm-hmm. that an R&B artist, that an R&B artist is singing right. over. Right, right, it right. It just sounds perfect yeah, for it, her. it definitely fits her and it definitely fits um, the mode of where she was at that time. Like that's one of my favorite Faith mm-hmm. songs. Um, so yeah, so number five, Faith, I love you. Number four, Biggie's Story to Tell. Mm. Um you know, I think this is one of those records that will never die, will never get old. It's one Ever. of those records that is just, it's just timeless. And I think um, just the fact that Biggie tells that story so well, it, it, it you it can just, visualize you can, all of you, it, right, right, right. And even still, like it's a song that still holds up to 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 today because people are still talking about the song, just like a couple of months ago or maybe close to a year ago when it came out that allegedly Big was talking to. Uh, or talking about a situation with Anthony Mason from Knicks. I don't necessarily <laughs> believe that, um, but it's just one of those records that people still hear today, and people, it, you know, it'll live for generations. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. our kids will know about "I Got a Story to Tell." You know, right. it's, it's one of those records. If we raise them right, they will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so number three, Fast Life, Nas and G Rap. Yes, Nas and G Rap, Fast Life. I think this record is is dope on a lot of levels. I think number one, I think this was probably. One of the last times that we that we hear a G rap, and I'm going to tread lightly with this, a relevant G rap. You know what I mean? You mean on his own record? On his own record. Okay. Because I mean, to me, four, five, six was the last G rap album. uh, G rap guest spots after that. Right, right, right. But full albums, four, five, six is the last G rap album that I probably cared about, or even you know found. And I'm a huge G rap fan. Like, don't mm-hmm, get it twisted. Definitely. Um, and he's one of the greats. Like, he's one of the greatest. But for me, I don't think I've listened to any full G rap albums after four, five, six. And it's almost like a passing of the torch. Yeah, yeah, Nas yeah. Right. On so, the song. right. So G rap is well past his prime. Um, but it you see Nas, right? Nas as a young buck, kind of coming up and kind of taking the torch. Okay, Queens, I got us. Right. It's so perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know when you listen to that song, the way that he and Nas kind of do a back and forth. I believe it's on the last verse to do like a um like a, like a back team. and forth, like an in and out, like you know, kind of like the locks do a lot of times, like mm-hmm. Big and Jay did on uh, Brooklyn's Finest, you know, where they both jump in and out of the record. Trading verses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, yo, my lifestyle's exquisite. Yeah, yo, like a blizzard. It's quiet, tire standing on ground with one pivot. Two players rocking silk, blazers and diamonds like glaciers. Lands with name brand seats reclining like a spacious. Bodies on ice, living trite, rolling fixed up dice. So I, I think that's really dope about that song. And it's just, it just epitomizes just like, 
you know what was to come in hip hop. You know, a lot of a, a lot of kind of dope hip hop artists just spitting over uh, classic R and B samples or R and B samples that might not be as as hard or as gritty as you know. That's not something that you necessarily have heard on like a boot camp album or a typical G rap album. Just like that beat was so. You know, I think it was what was that surface only right. make me happy. Yes, um, where, happy. where the sample came from. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I just think it's dope, and I think it's dope that Nas and G Rap were able to um, combine for that record, and you know, kind of put Queens at the forefront. Uh, that's my number three. Number two, noticeably absent from your list, was Lamont Coleman, aka Big L. So oh. my number two is Big L. Put it on. I actually had that on my first. List that, oh, your fir- the first draft of your list. Right. The first draft had definitely um, 11 songs. And <laughs> well, I, just... I mean, the second draft had probably 10, so... <laughs> no, no, no. It was ties. <laughs> but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that was definitely... There, there's no argument there. Um, and that is a um, a large uh, missing factor on my list. But it's like I had to, tr- I had to trim somewhere and I had to not... Um, when you're making these lists where you're supposed to be looking solely at the production... Mm-hmm. Like Buckwild's production on the song, um, sometimes it's easy to just pick the songs from the artists that you like the most, mm-hmm. even though you might actually like the production better. Like, so for example, I love Big L more than I do Cormega. Right. Not to take anything away from Cormega, but Big L is you know up there for me. Mm-hmm. But the production on a Thin Line touched me more than right than on the Big L joint. So. Okay. So yeah, I had to skim some. I had to trim something trim somewhere. Some fat. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Big L. First of all, lifestyles that are poor and dangerous. I think should go down as one of the most underrated albums of yeah. all times. Uh, such a great album. Such a great project. It's one of those that you can still listen to um, from front to back. You know, even to this day. And I think just that record epitomizes L's flow, and it epitomizes what we hear about. The potential that L had as an MC, mm-hmm. um, where he was headed, where he was headed. I think his cadences on that record were definitely above uh, before its time. Um, the production was great. Kid Capri was, you know, on the record, and you, you don't get more '90s hip hop than <laughs> Kid Capri. They Kid Capri hollering on the record. Yeah, put it on, Big L. That that record to me speaks volumes. And then when you just look at the relationship that that Buckwild has with DITC, I think that record speaks to that. You know, I think he, it speaks to the fact that he's able to not only put on for other acts and other artists, but he's still able to bring it home and produce for his crew and still give his crew like some Classics. of the dopest work in their catalog. You know, mm-hmm. so that's why my number. That's why uh, Big L is number two. Number one, number number numero uno, are you ready? Yes. Number one, I'm just going to say this. You lack the minerals and vitamins, <laughs> ions and the niacin. Oh, my gosh. So we both have OC times up. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Oh, right? my gosh. It doesn't get I don't any think anyone will argue with us about nah, that number one stuff. Nah, nah. They, you can't argue with OC being, like, times up being, like, one of the dopest songs in hip-hop history. Um and to me, the dopest record in Buckwild's catalog uh, and doing research for the podcast, I actually found a sample 
that he used for that song. For Time's Up. For Time's Up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's dope. It's actually, let's see. So it's a French artist named Les. I'm assuming it's French because it, I just pronounced it. It's, well, maybe it's not French. Maybe his name is just Les. Because <laughs> if it's French, it'd be Lay, right? Lay. Oh, sure. Yeah, maybe it's Les, like Psycho Les from the Beat Nuts. So Les de Marie, A Day in the Life. I thought it was French, but I guess not. It could be. Yeah, maybe. Um, and it'd be Lay de Marie. Yeah, I just, this is an artist I've never even heard of before, so I don't even know his history or whatever, but. You listen uh, to the original song? Yeah, is yeah, it dope? yeah. Yeah, it's definitely dope. It's definitely a dope uh, sample. Not really any chopping or anything, but when you hear it, like when you hear the sample, as soon as it comes on, you're like, oh, that's time Time's up. Time's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I always have thought it was dope how they put the Slick Rick sample, you know, Dead Times Limited, Hard Rocks too. Yes. Um, great use of, you know, a vocal sample. And it's just a dope record. Like, it's just an awesome record um, that I will, even even though I will say that OC doesn't get enough credit, but I think we can save that for another episode. Um, I definitely do not think that OC gets mentioned enough. I don't think that, um, of course, Times Up wasn't on um the album that I'm about to talk about, but Time's Up was on Word Life. Word I don't Life. think that Jewels Jew gets mm -hmm. enough credit. Um, a couple times a year, I'll go back and I listen to Jewels, and I really, really just think that it needs to start being mentioned in the breath of those classic mm -hmm. hip hop albums. Like it's one of those that I can never take out of my out of my um, out of my playlist. It's 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 just a dope body of work. Agree. No argument there. I also want to. Um, well, this isn't an honorable mention or anything. Oh, but I but do you had a second runner-up or something. No, no, no. But I do want to talk about how, just briefly, how uh, Buckwild was the first to use one of my favorite samples. Um, and it's really not even on a song, but on that interlude uh, on Word Life to Point of Views, mm -hmm. um, Little Boy Blues. All right. Uh, See the Love. Mm -hmm. And that is one of my favorite samples. That's a, an album that, as a digger myself, that I had been digging for for years and finally... Found it, what, maybe two or three years ago? And that's the sample that Jay-Z used for... Um, Public service announcement, yes. Just Blaze. Right, but I just want to point out that Buck yeah, Wild used it use first, it, right. even though he didn't use it for a full song mm -hmm. and really flush it out. It's still like one of the, my favorite samples to date, so yeah. let's give him some credit for yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I wonder if, like when Just used it for um, Jay-Z, I wonder if he had already heard it on OC's album. I feel album like he probably he had, just, but you know, I feel like Just Blaze, right. I think I've seen him say in an interview that like he he hadn't heard it. Sure, And Jess. I was like, sure you haven't. <laughs> sure, Just. <laughs> right, 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 right. Of course you haven't, but notice to Just Blaze. <laughs> right, 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 but you know, it is what it is. Uh, mm -hmm. Buckwild used it first. Just give credit where it's due. Right. So, without any further ado, you know, Buckwild is somebody who has done so much for the culture. He's done so much for music, I think we got to get into this interview. Check for it. All right. So, Buck, thank you for joining us on the Can I Kick It podcast, brother. All right, bless, 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 man. So let's kind of talk about your beginning. Let's start early on in in the life of young Buckwild, man. Musically, where does that story begin? Like, where does the the history of Buckwild begin musically? Um, I could say maybe in public school. Uh huh. You know, and matter of fact, even probably before that, like I've heard like from. My older siblings and shit, like, you know, I always had a thing for, you know, records because, you know, my two older sisters, they had 
you know, the dynamic record collection, you know, with, and it's like, funny thing, it's like all the records they had was records they used to play at Park Jams and, you know, summer breaks, and it's like, always had infatuation with those records. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I would always, you know, being young after that, they seen that, they would always buy me like 45 and albums and shit like that. And when I got to a certain age, I think when I was in second or third grade, it's like, you know, I figured out that, you know, seeing, you know, everybody, you know, mixing it to Paul Jams, that you can use the balance knob and put, and put the, the right input on a um, turntable in. And it's like, when you take the left one out, you don't hit on the left side. So right. I started learning how to DJ from that. And then I got with my boy and he brought his other turntable over and we learned how to DJ on the balance. Mm. Now, you know, it's funny, a lot of people, we hear a lot of people who talk about, like a lot of dope producers talk about their siblings or their parents having crazy record collections growing up. And it's almost like, yeah. you know, back in those days, your record collection is what taught you, it kind of taught you music. Um, so That's true. Were there, were there any instruments that you played back at that time or... Was it just you and the nah. turntables and the records? It's the turntable. The turntable was the only instrument. <laughs> now, you mentioned that yeah. your sisters had a crazy record collection and their music kind of influenced you, but are there any specific songs or groups or albums that your parents played that were really influential in kind of crafting your taste in music? No, nah, my mom's was about the church, so it's like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, one of my records I first remember is like smoking Chiba Chiba. Mm. You know, that break. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, for that to be playing on in the house, it probably was a lot going on. With your mom's being from the church, did her gospel, did, like, that gospel influence kind of affect your sound growing up? Nah, I think maybe... It, it wasn't really that. It's like, because growing up, it's like, when they make you go to church, it's like, that's like a rebellion. That you feel like, oh, I don't want to go to church. And you see, like, young, like, you know, well, why every time they pass the plate around, like, ten times a day? Right. <laughs> How come we got to keep putting money in the plate? Why they got the elevator from? We don't have no elevator. <laughs> so when you were a kid and you see these things, you see these things ahead of time. So it's like, I was always just infatuated with the music, you know, because Aaron records like, you know, Bob James and Frisco Disco mm -hmm. and you know, smoking Chiba Chiba and Michael Jackson, and you know, a lot of those things, you know, Earl Clough, you mm -hmm. know, those things kind of moved me, you know, and it's like, and then come and find out when I hear, you know, the older cats with jams and they spinning some of this stuff, it's like, you know, when you're young, you want to be with the OGs, and just like, that made me want to do what I do. Right. Well, that young curiosity led you to be a part of one of the greatest crews in hip hop. How did you actually first get down with DITC? Um, I met Finesse from doing mixtapes. Mm -hmm. You know, I walked into, um, I was doing mixtapes. I used to sell mixtapes to Rock and Roll on 125th Street. I walked in one day and it's like, I wasn't even, it was a day I just happened to be on 125th Street. And um, I walked into Rock and Will and Finesse was there with Will and Finesse needed a place to do mixtapes because he was doing it too. And he's like, oh, you know, Will, Will was like, hey, Finesse needs to do a mixtape. Can you do it at your house? And I'm looking, I'm like, <laughs> Man, we've been fucking bumping funky technicians forever. And I'm Ooh. like, hell yeah, he can right. use my crib. And then from that day, we just had our bond. And we, you know, we kind of talked about Finesse when we talked to him a couple of months ago. We discussed just all of the dope talent that came out of the Bronx from that time period, man. Um, just kind of speak on that for a little bit. Like, what was in the water? I asked him the same thing. Like, what was it that was in the water that, that folks was drinking in the Bronx that created the, like, the, the, the people who were giving us this crazy soundscape? I don't know. I think it just could be the music and maybe the things that was going on, like nobody was, you know, um, we all weren't, you know, 
child fund kid, trust fund kids. It's like everybody, you know, you living in the Bronx. The Bronx had a reputation of being one of the dirtiest boroughs. That and all of it's like, you know, mad abandoned buildings. There was a lot of crime. There was a lot of robbery. Mm-hmm. We probably had one of the highest murder rates in the country. So, you know, New York City was kind of on fire back then. And, you yeah. know, people always talk about bringing back the 90s. But it's like, when I look at it, I'm like, man, I don't want that. You know, between, <laughs> you know, between Bill Clinton and, you know, between Rudy Giuliani and before that, you know, David Dinkins and that Koch, no one wants to go through that. So it's like, y'all may think it's the music, but it's like, I think it was just the universe to put everything in the perspective because what we were going through and where we were at, and, you know, hip-hop was a way for us to tell our story and move forward. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, you know, the best music always comes out of times of oppression, times of struggle. So, you know, that's when the best music is always made. So let's kind of go a little bit ahead. Um... After you meet Finesse, you start producing a little bit, a little bit later on. And the first joint that you produced was Shit Is Real um, with Diamond, Finesse, yeah. and Sadat X. So how did you get into production? And as a new producer, how did you go about making your beats back then? Well, what happened for me is like, you know, um, everyone was doing beats. The show was doing beats because I'm seeing now I'm around up and I'm seeing show after he made Party Groove. Diamond's recording his album. He's doing Fat Joe. Um, Finesse is, you know, tinkering with the beats and I was like, hey, you know, this is something I always wanted to do too so I got hold of an SB12 and, you know, they homeboy, which is my dude too, Chili D, you know, he is the one who, who taught me how to use the SB12 because everyone was doing their own thing and mm-hmm. I had a Akai SO1 which is even more short sampling time that you know who the showbiz told me to rock out with and um, you know I used to go to Chile like every day and he really taught me the ins and outs of it and that gave me my kickstart and you worked with artists from your own crew as well as some of the greatest rappers really to ever do it you know G-Rap Nas Biggie Jay-Z who were some of the Jada right (laughs) (laughs) definitely Jada too sometimes people be like yo who hasn't I worked with it's like I believe sometimes like even from AZ a lot of people famous and it's like I think that was a blessing definitely yeah. so you know? who were some of the easier artists to work with and who presented more of a challenge where you really had to you know challenge yourself as a producer well to me I think and I'm gonna say this I think Biggie and Jay-Z were probably the easiest because I've always said this the best artists are the ones who give you the least challenge because they always receptive to how they could be better and pun. Let me throw pun in there. Right. I can't leave him out. These dudes were super lyrical and it's like they were super genius and not only that, it's like they were producers in their own right because mm-hmm. they had a vision for records. They didn't rely for you to come in and just do everything, you know, and uh, they made everything just so smooth and it's like if you ask anybody who worked with them, it's like they make you feel super comfortable in the studio. Yeah. I'm sure that's important. Now, who presented all, more all, of a challenge? All of them share that. Um, the most challenge that I had probably was, let me see, I, I could say even, and it was just probably recording vocals was G because it's like I had to become adapting to knowing how to vocal on two and three different tracks. And once I got the, once I got the hang of that, you know, I, I believe that helped step me up as a vocal producer. Cause you, I mean, you're like, 
you know, one of the few producers who can produce hip-hop and R&B and still sound dope on both spectrums, you know? Yeah, I, I appreciate that, but it's like, I'm just a fan of music, Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I look at it, I've never been, you know, my boy told me, say, yo, man, you like how Kanye was before Kanye. Right. <laughs> it's like you had all these records, but you never was a person bragging and boasting about everything you did, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? And to me, I just love the music, and it's like, I love the culture, and it's like, and I'm a humanitarian first before anything else. Absolutely. So, you know, we hear a lot of people talk about that Source magazine tour where you met uh, O and, you know, how, you know, the Source with Benzino. And, like, take us through that tour. Because I, I think I've heard the story of the tour maybe three or four times, but I want to hear it from, like, from your perspective. Because I kind of wish that I was on that tour somehow because every time I hear it, it just seems like that joint was popping. Like the loudest popping. thing ever. Yeah, like, <laughs> it just seemed like it was popping. Well, so. It, it, it was, because when you look at it, to have track masters there before they was track masters. Mm -hmm. Right. And you see how many hits they produced. This Zeno went on before the source really took off. You know, we had Little Bastards, Roxanne, Shantae. We had Organized Confusion. We had Bisbal. Um, We had so many people, like some people I might be forgetting, but it's like, it, it was a good time because like everyone wasn't successful. Right. And it's like, I believe after that tour, we all came into our home and even with organizers, like, they were on there off their first album. And, you know, and I was just saying, it's like that album entailed me to come home and do Stress and Time's Up. Right. And Master IC. All of these records I produced and, like, some of these um, and some of these relationships, you know, they came through that. Like, even with, with, with organizers, like, I feel more, like, after years down the line, we became more friends than anything. Even seeing Bunch after he did um, Simon Says, you know, as soon as he did it, he come to my house and he's like, yo, I want to play you something. I want to see what you think. Like, I thought that was big because it's like, I was like, yo, these dudes, I used to run around looking for their records and play them, play them on my mixing, you know? So that tour for me was very instrumental. It was very iconic. And it was nothing but love because it's like when you have all of these people and it's like nobody's super rich. Biz was probably the most successful person because he was the DJ on the tour. He's still DJ now. Yeah, yeah. But definitely. to be around Biz and all these guys, like, yo, it was, it, for me, it was something where like, damn, they're a, a dream because it's like, I'm fresh off of mixtapes. I'm not even a producer. Right. You know? So and that's why when people say, yo, well, how'd you get your start? I'm like, man, it's like Juicy. It's like if I could write a, a Juicy, a production of Juicy, <laughs> it would go like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was all a dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who goes from playing Fudge Fudge one day to producing Stress and Tom's Up, the, you know, within a year and change? Yeah, yeah, definitely a dream. And, and shit is real. Right. It's an incredible story. You've actually produced, you know, some real classics, but it seems that a few of the joints that we now, you know, recognize as Buckwow hits were actually originally intended for other artists, specifically uh, I Love You, Faith Evans, and I Got a Story to Tell Biggie. Can you talk to us a little bit about who those were originally intended for and why they might have passed on them, passed on those jewels? Well, even with, like, I could say the I Love You record first because even working with, oh, this is when we was doing jewels. And, you know, right off of, you know, me and oh, we've had countless records I don't know, if we had the reels, we could probably put out a couple of albums. <laughs> because we, we spent so much time in the studio together, because even on his first album, you know, and talking to O, O was like, my, o was my brother. And we talked, it's like, we remember the days when, you know, when we did, when we did Word Life, no one wanted to chip in on the album. Like, oh, uh, a lot of producers, I won't name, a lot of <laughs> artists, stood us up. 
And it wasn't until Time's Up came out that people recognized him. And it's like, for him, I always call old a prophet because yeah. that record right there, it speaks of volumes for generation of people. It, it, it became people who are hip-hop like they're, like they're gospel. Old basically had the blueprint of the record. You know, old is a genius in his own right. You know, he may not get the... the People may not make him a claim like the Nas and Jay Z, but I believe if he was on the right label, he would be. Yeah. People would put him up there too, the same way with Jay Z. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, he basically had that blueprint. Like he's had so many records that he made in his mind, where it's like he makes it easy to produce too. And it's like sometimes we had our little studio wars with Aubrey, and that's why we had so many records. You know, before we go back to the Faith record, he tells me, "Oh, nah." This song we made is whack. I'm not using them. Like, yo, the record is tough. <laughs> nah, I'm not using that. Fuck you. It's like, and I'm like, fuck you. And all of a sudden, we ain't speaking for a few days right. and be back in the studio with attitudes. So Before how did that, like I say, bitch, and at that time, like, it was supposed to be, he wanted to put another verse on there. And Serge stopped him. Serge was like, yo, man, it's only two verses that sound dope. Serge asked me what I think. I was like, yo, I think it's dope. And I was like, nah, it's too short. You know, it's like, he did what, you know, Chris Lighty and them said they did the tribe. They had to take the record for him. So it's like, <laughs> you know, and this is the time. We still recording the album. But when that record came out, it made such an impact. And it's like people were finally giving all his due. They giving him his praise. Because right. even between that, like my two favorite records that he made is that and uh, un another unreleased record, which is Burby Slow. I don't know if y'all... If uh, if y'all know about that, but to me, those are one of my favorite records because I seen him do the record in like a half hour. Wow. He played the beat, he came up with the concept and everything, and next thing you know, the record is done. So he passed on the I Love You track. How did Faith end up with it? Oh, oh, um, this goes to a time um, I was, you know, going to sign to, you know, to Bad Boy Management. Mm -hmm. And um, I did two r records at the same time. It was a Sherry Dennis record. Mm -hmm which is so complete. I remember and her. Was, I love you. <laughs> yeah. So um, I had I had the two beats and, you know, I was sitting in the hall with Puff and I say, I got these two joints, you know, I, I think could be crazy. And it's like, you know, Puff has a great ear for music. And it's like, I can't take no disrespect to him. And he just gave me this look. And then the a and was like, yo, just give me the beats. I think they tough. Let me get somebody to write some. So he got um, someone to pin the song for Sherry. And um, this guy, Kelly Jameson, he penned the song for Faith. But people don't originally know that the, that before Faith had the record, Jennifer Lopez had the record. Mm. She had the so she had it after OC before Faith got it. Right, that's the middle ground. J Lo had it, <laughs> but when the thing happened with Puffy and uh, and that um, sure. you know, with this Puffy and Sean and J Lo, right. every record that was on that album got returned back to Bad Boy. Wow. <laughs> Return to Cinder. <laughs> Return to Send, and my record was one of them. It's like, Faith heard the record, she was like, hey, I'll take that. Hmm. No one knows that J-Lo, it's like, people never ask me. I'm like, yo, why, how come I didn't remember to tell people that? I forgot that J-Lo had it too. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what she would have did with it, though. Like, I wonder how it would have turned out. Because it just seems so meant for Faith yeah. at this point, because that's how we know it. But it but seems like it was meant for it, her. It, 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 was, it was dope, because like that, that record is in J-Lo's range. Mm -hmm. And Faith is such an incredible artist. Like, her range and her writing is so crazy. And it's like, I was very surprised to see Faith take it because Faith is such an amazing writer right. and producer. Right, because she, she writes you and know? she's written for other people, so... She writes, but she makes, she makes other people. Right, right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, we see how Faith ended up with that one, but how did Biggie end up with I Got a Story to Tell? Wasn't that for someone else, too? Yeah, like, um, 
And this was during the time when they were recording Foxy's first album. And um, I had a couple of records that didn't make it. Um, one record, me and SNS did. And I don't know what happened, but Queen Pen, it didn't make it, but Queen Pen ended up using the same sample. Mm. That's gone. So fast forward down the line. Uh, I came Tone another group of beats and Tone went crazy for that beat and he wanted it for Foxy Foxy was like yo she didn't hear it she didn't really wasn't really feeling it <laughs> you know and they was like yo we gonna get Jay to help you with the concept this could be an incredible record yo you're bugging you need to take this beat but you know the first album that she had is classic she had so many singles and big records on there we can't knock her for right, it right. you can't get everything so it's like I think it came out better because even seeing her when we mixed the record she was in, she told Big like this was one of the most incredible records on the album. Wow. Wow. Did she realize that that was the one she had passed on? Sometimes artists don't. Like, you know, Foxy was young. That was her first album. It's like, mm -hmm. you got to remember, like, she was very high in demand. And it's like, it's not saying it would have been better than anything else, but maybe the record wasn't for her. Right, mm -hmm. right. You know, like, people think that she didn't see herself penning it because people thought that Jay would write everything. I've been in the studio with Foxy and I've seen her pen game. Her pen game is strong. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that you know? some beats get better with time? Because, you know, we talked to um, we talked to Bink also, and he was telling us how Ross had passed on Santorini Greece maybe three or four times before he finally decided to put his pen to it. So do you think some artists feel like the beats, they kind of like mature with time? Um, I don't know. I could, uh, from my experience, I just think that some artists have a greater vision. Mm -hmm. because like working with Biggie and Jay-Z I think they have a if this was basketball I call it like a court vision where it's like they could see everything that's to come Yeah, and everyone doesn't have that and it's like with Biggie Biggie fathered a lot of things it's like he taught us how to really make albums and some movies or put it together on the East Coast you know yeah. and you know people people always say oh you know they fucked up hip hop but it's like yo you listen to Ready to Die it has 15 hardcore records and then two records where he's rhyming on M2 May and um, Osley Brothers right. so I just think because of that because he went platinum and it's like he kind of stole the shine and he and he didn't have you know maybe Q-Tip and Lost Professor on there but he had DJ Premier right. you know a lot right. of hip hop purists they kind of they kind of hated on it yeah yeah Easy Mo B yeah, Easy Mo B Easy Mo B gave him joint the what with Method Man? Come on now. Yeah, yeah. So let, let, since we're talking about the 90s, it seemed like at one point in the 90s, like, you know, having a Buckwild uh, uh, remix was kind of like... Mandatory. Mandatory. <laughs> like, you had to have it. What do you think it was about yeah. your sound? Because, you know, just, just listening and going back to your discography, you don't hear, like, a definite sound. There's not, like, a definitive Buckwild. Like, you can't say, oh, everything sounds the same. It's all, you know, everything is all different. You know, you know, you hear those drums at one point, you know, you were here like that, the, the high bells in certain joints. But what do you think it was about your sound that made artists come to you for that particular Buckwild sound? Well, I think sometimes it's just because of what the other artists have. And it's like when you got Regis out. But it's like even listening back to some of the songs like um, like I could look, look at like I did a special air remix. I did a, um, mm -hmm. you know, bring it on remix. To me, I think some of these songs kind of burst some of the emo things because it's like a lot of remixes I had, it had a certain emotion to it. Right. You know, and looking back, I was like, yeah, you know what? It might not have been Pete Rock remix, but knowing Pete and Pete, like, yo, man, if you ain't have a remix, I had, you know, if you didn't have the remix, I had the remix. Right. And that time, and I was like, wow, that's crazy to even for him to mention that in the same breath. Yeah. Because that's another guy who I admired from afar before I got in the industry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so... With these things, I think when you're doing a good job too, and I can look at it, I think doing a great job is what made people want that. 
where it's like maybe it was things that I didn't see because sometimes as a producer, I'm, I'm tough on myself. But now I can look down the line and I can see certain records and how they affected people and it's like how, you know, they influence others and you know what people really like. And I'd be like, yo, you like that? Like that? Mm-hmm. Damn, it didn't really rock the way I thought it was when mm-hmm. I heard like a shut them down or when I heard like some of the tribe records or looking at the front door. Like I would gauge records on that. I never really looked like, damn, you know what? If it's not playing on a high level, then it didn't do it. But we have the internet now and it shows us what people like. Like mm-hmm. if I could take a record, whole Happy Jackie. Mm-hmm. I met so many people of all ages to be like, oh, that's my record. And they know the record word for word. And I'm like, and to me, I'm looking at like, shit, it ain't, it ain't rather unique or more, more, more money, more mm-hmm. murder right. or give me, but it's a different record. And it's like, I get it now. So to me, I would be a little harder on myself. Maybe for me, that's what kept me going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who will say that whole happy Jackie is their favorite AZ song. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I've heard. Yeah. I've had that conversation with several that. people. You know? Well, as a producer, what's the difference for you in working with a group and presenting beats to a group as opposed to like an individual artist? Is there any different approach in presenting something where a couple of people have to be into it as opposed to just the individual artist? Oh, that's very hard because it's like I have a few more deep records to sit in. Oh, wow. I had a locks record that didn't make it. And it's like if one person doesn't like it and right. one person does, it's always a split. You know, and it's, it's a blessing, though, because no one really knows or understands. It's hard to submit for a group because the more members that are there, the more people have to agree. Right, right. You know, and it's like you and both artists have to have a certain synergy. Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to marquee artists, like Mom D were, were a marquee artist. Mm-hmm. So if having like the beat and Prodigy didn't, it don't go. And if Prodigy like the beat, having does, it don't go. No go. When we um when we talked to Finesse, he talked about his experience about working with Big. What were your experiences when you worked with Big? For I got a story to tell. Before or after? <laughs> either, yeah, either. Well, my first time working with Big was on Red Hot Love a Tone Out, and I did a song called For My Niggas. That was the most enjoyable session that I ever had, and it was Biggie, Akinelli, and R.A. Rugged Man and Red Hot Love a Tone. That was the original record before other people couldn't get clear. Wow. And it was the best session that I ever had, and that's what Biggie and R.A. met. So through that session is where you get cut renaissance, you know, and this is a hungry Big. This is, this is before Big really popped off, and, you know, that's when I learned even with him. And to him, the first thing that matters is his raps. Right. And like I say, the one thing I learned from Biggie is, is, is song structure, melody, and really being in pocket. Like, Biggie was one of the artists that I see that had the best pockets and made it kind of easy. He made it easy for a lot of people because he's coming with the concept. You don't have to focus. You don't have to sit with him and be like, nah, Biggie, you got to rhyme about this. He's going to tell you what he want to rhyme about. And it's like anyone who work with him, they can tell you that. Mm-hmm. He's gonna tell you what he wanna rap about. He just wanna make sure that you produce some of his rhymes is tight, his flows in pocket, and the beat is dope. Yeah. So with with that bad boy production label, because you've had a you've had a, a couple of different production situations, right? Yeah. As far as I, management, I did the bad boy thing. I did Rush. <laughs> I did bad boy. <laughs> I did um, Rockefeller. You did Rockefeller. So you were, you were at Rockefeller before Justin Kanye, before and him, right? Justin Kanye. Yeah. yeah right yeah. before. Um, that's when we did The Truth. Mm-hmm. We did that album. Like, me and Beanie, and Hip Hop can attest to it, we got about 12 to 15 songs on the reel somewhere sitting. Right, right, right. And, um, yeah, and, you know, they they hooked it up. Lenny made it, so it passed the beast to Bleak. That's how I got on Bleak's album. And 
after Jay heard the album, Jay jumped on my record. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I forgot what album they did after that, but it's like, I, you know, I was always a person hustling. And when Dame came, he said, yo, you know, matter of fact, let's take it back. Um, Big L was signing the Rockefeller, too. Right, right, right. And this was all around right. the same time. Through Flamboyant, like with and Flamboyant and Rockefeller situation, right? Yeah, through, yeah, through, through Flamboyant. Mm-hmm. And like looking at it, you know, and I talked to Show, and I, I asked you, I was like, yo, man, you know, they want me to sign with them. And Show was like, yo, you know, they want to do it with L, so you know, you know, you guys go ahead and do it, man, because it's only going to make the family bigger. Yeah. So I talked to Show, you know, the blessings was there. And Dame will say, yo, give me a year. If you don't like it, I'll have my lawyer tap the contract. To me, Dane was one of the better managers I've ever seen because he always fights for the artist 10 million percent. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, it's like, I need to get, he may happen. The only problem that I found is like, they wasn't shopping beats. If mm-hmm. I would have stayed a little longer, maybe things would be different. But, you know, I'm happy with the outcome because right after the Rockefeller, well, Bad, Bad Boy came before Rockefeller because mm-hmm. I think Beanie, Beanie came after Rob, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, in mm-hmm. any situation, they all were back to back and I always looked at it like this. Someone say, yo, if you give it a year, a year is no time. That's 12 months, 365 days. You could do that in your sleep. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I always gave the opportunity, but even after I didn't stay with either labels, like I was still selling them beats. Right. And that, I believe that's because, uh, you know, the talent I possess as a producer. Right. So, so you know, I, I love hearing Big L stories, man. So I need, I think we need to, the show needs a Big L story from you. Like any type of, you know, I think I think when, when Finesse talked about how he and Big L first met, I think that's probably one of the dopest stories that we ever heard um, in the record store. Uh, so well, give I, a- can, I can add on to that. Do that. <laughs> because because of that, like, and I'm going to say this, you see how I met Finesse at Rock and Wheels? Mm-hmm. Where did Finesse meet Big L? At Rock and Wheels. Yeah. Right. You right. know who brought him to Rock and Wheels? You did? And I believe in people, no, I believe in giving people their due. See, all right, so back in the day, me and Easy LP used to make tapes. Me, Easy LP, and Lord Finesse, right? Uh-huh. So we had this thing called Hard Pack. And the Hard Pack was a group of DJs, and it's like, you know, every time we made a tape, they would put on the MC, and D-Wiz brought Big L through. That's when everybody got wind of who L was. Right, right, right. You know, and L is just this cocky dude to be like, yo, <laughs> Easy LP will tell you the same thing. Yo, man, just break Finesse. He kicked one rhyme. Right. <laughs> Just one. One rhyme. And he kicked one rhyme. When Finesse met him, he kicked one rhyme. And that one rhyme was all it took. Yeah, it blew his socks you off. You know, and it's like you. <laughs> Shit, I don't think it blew his socks off. I think it blew everything off. <laughs> like, yo, I got a... He got it. Like, he was the one person to fucking... He challenged Finesse every time. And it's like, I remember every record Finesse did. Up it, even with... Um, let me see, everywhere that I go, brothers, even on that record, mm-hmm. L wouldn't sit there on the side and be like, yo, I'm going to give him the business. Right. So L always had like a secret battle with whoever he's on the record with. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard Fat yeah. Joe say that. <laughs> huh? I've heard Fat Joe say that. Joe said that on the record they did together, uh, L walked up to him and was like, yo, I heard you got, he said, I heard you got a million fans. Well, I'm about to take 500,000 of them. <laughs> L, and I'm going to tell you another person who does that pun. Pond mm. and L was the same thing. It's like whenever they go and get on a record, you go to shop, but they're gonna make sure that they try to have the best verse that they can. Right, right, right. You know, and it's like seeing that and and, and seeing L L always have that competitive vibe. It's right. like whenever he step in and he is sometimes in the studio, he's gonna be quiet. If he go first or you go first, he don't even matter. When right. he did yes you may, he let Vanessa go first, but he felt like yo. I'm going to get him, and I got him. I got him, right. You know? 
Yeah, it's like, you know, come on now, finesse is the lyrical king, yeah, the lyrical yeah, yeah. god. So to have L to be able to spar with him, who's like, L is like a freshman in rap. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when you listen to that record now, it's so fresh. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's like, to me, it's like I always have to go back to it because I believe L and Finesse put two of the greatest verses ever on wax on that record. Yeah. You know, and it's like, to me, it's like, that's my most, those, those two things from the time he met Finesse till when they did Yes You May are some of my most memorable times with L. You know? We feel like it's really important to keep these stories alive about, you know, these incredible MCs that we don't have here with us anymore. I mean, you mentioned about Pun's competitive nature. Tell us a little bit about how it was to work with him, like the, the technicality of working with Pun in the studio. Pun is a very, and I said this about Jay-Z and Biggie, very easy to produce. And it's like, whatever the producer says goes. Um, we were doing a record for the Terror Squad called Rude Boy Salute. It's Pun, Fat Joe, and Buju Bontop. Pun laid his vocals, I think I was in L.A. or something, and it's like when I came back, and we were mixing the song, my boy Duro, we were mixing it, and the vocals sounded horrible. And I told Joe, I said, yo, I'm not mixing the song. He's like, why not? I said, yo, Pun vocals sound horrible. And Duro was like, word. He's like, I know he can, he's like, nah, but Pun said it sounds like that. So I said, yo, get Pun on the phone. <laughs> so he got Pun on the phone, I said, yo, yo, Pana, Yo, pun, these vocals sound hard, but I need you to come down and recut the vocals. Two o'clock in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. Not eight o'clock at night, nine <laughs> o'clock at night, two o'clock in the morning. He showed up. Pun comes down. Pun comes down with Liza and I think Boogie and one other person comes down and nails the verse mm-hmm. and goes home and we mix the song. So he was able to take so direction that shows easily. You, take direction. That's what makes these guys incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what makes them who they were. Now yeah. when we did... Dream Shadow. Everyone's heard him freestyle that shit so many times. First time I worked with Pun, we went in the studio and it's called Mystic and Staten Island. The first time I seen a person really do their song in one take. Pun did? First bar. Pun, yeah, first bar to last bar. No punches, no double tracking, no nothing. Wow. He called me that day when we went and it's like, he's like, yo, pick me up. It's like, it was me and Cuban Links and I think Triple Safe. And we drove to Staten Island. In an MPV I had. <laughs> so I can remember going there and Pun said, yo, man, I wrote the greatest verse that I ever had to a beat. Now, mind you, the two days before I gave him the beat, he told me his budget was closed. Mm-hmm. He said, yo, I ain't got no budget, man. It's like, but I wish it was on the album. He heard the beat, he loved it. I said, yo, take it for free. He's like, yo, for free? He's like, yo, you going to give me a beat for free? I said, yeah, I want to be on your album. So he's like, bet. So when we go, he's like, yeah, I wrote the greatest verses I ever that I felt I ever wrote on your beat. And that's how Dream Shadow came about. Mm. Hip-hop quotable and all. Yeah. Wow. The problem was the sam- The only problem was the Barry White sample couldn't clear. Oh. Because we believed that, you know, you know Pun had, um, Norby had Doug Russ that had the same Barry White sample and mm-hmm. Black Rob had our Daniel. Mm-hmm. So we believe, you know, what they call these things was like you, uh, some hypothesis or whatever that Puffy probably paid and it's like probably so much money like look we'll clear it but no one can use the sample right, before right, or right. time right. or after yeah like a non, so non-compete it, it clause basically. yeah so you know Pun comes in and he does it in one take that's the only time I ever seen him do a song like that that quick and right. run through flawlessly yeah man because I always thought that Pun was, had to be punched in just because of the breathing, the breathing issues yeah. yeah that was later right 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 that was hmm. later 
when 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 I met Punt, he still was driving, able to get behind the wheel and do his thing. Then he put on more weight, the more successful he got. Yeah, yeah. Even when we was doing Yeah Baby, like when we did Yeah Baby days before he died, wow. we mixed the song the day before he died. A lot of wow. people don't know that. Nigga shit was mixed. We was in the studio Sunday mixing nigga shit. Mm-hmm. And the next day, my brother OG called me and told me the pun died. I was in A1 record store, you know. And, you know, we were together in the studio. Dude was like, yo, this record is so dope. Why he do one verse? He's like, yo, that's a pun water. Yo, call him and tell him to do another verse. I said, okay, I'll call him tomorrow and see if he do it. I never got to even yeah. speak to him again. Wow. But wow. that day, if you if you listen to that album, Everyone says that that's one of the cleanest mixed vocal songs on this album because, like, we would appeal, like, Duro mixed and Duro gave a fuck about pun because Duro recorded most of the songs on Capital Punishment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't know that. He didn't get to mix it, but he recorded a lot of the songs. That's why even vocally, it sounds great. Mm-hmm. A lot of the songs. That's why he's super into um, Duro. Yeah, so, like, he knew how to record pun, and it's like... I believe this is this is what makes great hip hop with the producer and the engineer and the artist who all of them work as a team. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I work good with Doro because Doro, we knew each other like if we was on the basketball team. So it didn't matter if we was if he was getting his big fee or if he was doing a lookout fee. So to me, that's why a lot of my mix people be like, "Yo, who makes your song?" Or Doro makes your song. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, going back to that for pun, like yo, the day before he died, like yo, look at him as an incredible artist. He made that he made the song right there in the studio in front of Fat Joe, Buster, and Remy, and he kicked the bases of the song. That's the genius. And when he's just kicking a little bit of it, yo, people went crazy. Wow, that's crazy. You know, absolutely. Switching gears a little bit, you did you mentioned you know you were in a one record store. As a producer, obviously, you, you got to be out digging. What's some of your play, favorite places to dig, and what's your record collection like? Well, my record collection is based on my phone. I lost most of my shit in storage moving. Oh, wow. my favorite place to dig, my favorite place to dig was always the record store where it's like they don't have the breaks already there. Where it's like you got to do an Easter egg hunt because you know they got a, a lot of records there. Yeah. I believe it always stayed. It's like the A1s and the Sound Libraries and the Roosevelt fucked up the game. Because it gave everybody, hey, here's the record you need to sample. Mm-hmm. It ended digging. So you can't tell me you're digging if you're going to the Roosevelt. Right. Going to the Roosevelt and going to Sound Library A1 was like basically going to McDonald's and saying, let me get a Big Mac, let me get some French fries, and let me get a side of fucking ketchup or, or sweet and sour store. Right. You're not digging. Right. Digging is when we went to Jazz Center and Pyramid, and there was another school we scored to in Brooklyn, secondhand roles where it's like, you're not sure if the raps is going to come out or not, <laughs> leaving out your hands all black and you got to have the wet wipe. If, you, if you're if not catching songs, you know, if, you, if you got mostly collections from like Sound Library, A1, and most of these dealers at the Roosevelt, you don't really dig. Right. You're just getting records handed to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, you can't tell me how you dig. And it's like, when you look at it, it's like, I've been digging, like, one of my favorite places was New Orleans and Chicago. Mm. Like, No ID took me to this jazz record store in Chicago, and it's like, I found a case of Dorothy, Ar- Dorothy Ashby. The Afro Harpin joint? Boy, um, not Afro Harpin, the um, Ruby one, the mama and the rug on the cover. Oh, wow. Um, I found the Little Boy Blues out there, you know, which we used, and then Jay-Z used. Right, it's like, right. I found countless records in Chicago. I found countless records in Chicago. Another time we had a good time digging was when we was in New Orleans before the flood. Before the flood. Me, Pete Rock, Beat Miners, um, uh, Pasta News from De La Soul, EZLPs, like it's a bunch of us, Baby Paul. So that's what I call digging. When you go into the store and the owners don't know what they got. When you go in the A1 and Sound Library and fucking 
dreadlock Bob and Bob at the convention. It's like you're just going to <laughs> fucking McDonald's or a fucking steakhouse. Right. It's like you're going to the food court and like, yo, you know what? <laughs> let me get let me get some fish on this guy, and then I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna get me a hamburger right. and a grape soda. No, that's not digging. Right. It ain't digging if you don't leave out without with the dusty fingers. Yeah, it's like if you if you account any digging, probably Pete Rock and Lawrence Hunter could tell you if you don't go to your car and you got a box of wet wipes in the back, it's like you're not a digger. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you dig overseas now? I went, I dug in, in Japan when I went with Finesse. Yeah. And I sent, I came home. I came home, I probably left some clothes there. But I put all my records inside <laughs> of the fucking garment bag. Right, right, right. All, <laughs> all the records gotta go, gotta come. Yeah, because to me, it's like I collect two things. I collect I, I, I collect sneakers and I collect records. Mm. So when I was in Japan, I said, yo, I'm never gonna come again. Do I buy sneakers or do I buy records? Right. Records right. are gonna make me money, but sneakers I'm aware. Right. So it's like I bought records. <laughs> Dope, man. Well, look, man. I, I, I gotta say that the DITC album, uh, the last DITC album that just came out um, a couple of months ago, was a super dope project, man. So we just want to commend you on that, and just you know, commend um, you for for continuing to make good hip hop. You know? Yeah, I try, man. You know, it's like I did a project with Mayhem Loren, and it's like I, I see countless people starting to, you know, they just getting up on it now. Sometimes it's like. The one thing I believe about hip hop, we have to market and promote it the right way. And yeah. it's like good music will resonate, but it's like, you know, people always say, no, it's stuff on. No, it's not stuff on. It's like maybe it wasn't just marketed and promoted right, or maybe it wasn't good as you thought it was. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm a firm believer that if your music is good, it's going to fly. Absolutely. When we did Rob's record, it's like I've seen. I think it was LP or, or High Mighty. It's like we were in Soundloud, and he said, "Yo, you made the first Bad Boy record that I love, and that was Vo. Wow, that record had legs of its own, and it's like that's what taught me certain things. Like a lot of the artists, they blame it on the label, they blame it on this, they blame it on that. No, maybe the record wasn't as good as it was. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it wasn't the low end theory, or maybe it wasn't you know the Thirty Six Shameless record. Yeah. Some people like it, but if you want your your hip hop record to go pop, maybe you need to make make your records a little better. Yeah. And that that's my theory on how I work. Right. I don't I don't blame it on the label. I don't blame it on promotions. You can promote it yourself. Fat Joe used to do that. He promoted, you know, Flo Joe himself, and yeah. it's an mm-hmm. iconic record. You know, I I seen Joe them with him when he's putting up posters and all this other stuff. Some artists are too cool to do that, so they blame it on the label and everything else. Yeah, and that's why Joe you know, has had so much success no independently. Label. Yeah, so I believe, like, yo, you know, it's in, you know, and at the time when we have now, stop being mad at the young dudes. If you're not going in the club, and you know, back in the days, let me go backwards. When you went to the tunnel, the tunnel was strictly hip hop, 90s hip hop. Mm-hmm. You have to, if you're not going to the tunnel and going places, it's like, you can't be mad at what people are playing. Yeah, right. Now it's new places that are playing hip hop. And I believe this and I always tell people, you may start to hear people say this, we have adult contemporary hip hop. Absolutely. That's what people from the 90s are. Yeah, Make absolutely. it adult contemporary. Force a place to play it. Force a radio station to play it. So we don't just have college stations and internet stations. We have a place where it's like the people who are driving home or 35, 40, 45 who want to hear good hip hop where you can hear the new EPMD, mm-hmm. the new LL Cool J, the new Organized Confusion, the new OC, the new North Finesse. We need to force these people to give a, a, a space for this yeah. in right. every state. Yeah. And if we do this and we make great music, they'll be forced to because people will be like, yo, I want to hear this. How come the radio ain't playing this? Right. And some person will be like a genius like they have in Atlanta and be like, yo, we need a station where it's like we can hear this because this is what people want to hear. Right. So yeah, it's, yeah. Up to, it's up to people to stop being mad, the mad rapper and the mad producer and the mad artist, make great music, 
promote your music, move forward, put it out. Like you see a model technique, even if he doesn't. So even if he doesn't like getting radio spins, he doesn't care. Right, he's right. still doing big festivals all over the world. And he's not complaining about music. I believe we have to lead by example because the young people ain't mad at us. I think more older people are mad at them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the young people don't care. <laughs> they don't care. They doing their own thing. They got their own wave, as they call it. Right. They got their own thing, the same way the older dudes do. Right. Shit, if I want to ride around and listen to Gangstar all day, that's my prerogative. Right. Some young dudes like Gangstar. But the problem is some old dudes don't like Future. So it's like, and I know that when you, when you have people in your family, they listen to everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Some, some they know, something they don't. But it's like they discover, and it's like, you know, the podcasts and the radio shows, when you have young viewers, they come in, and it's like, well, shit, I never heard of this person. Let me go on the internet and, and, and listen to it. Right, right. And so they discover you there. It's like the internet is a place of discovery. Mm-hmm. So if you're an older person, they're going to know you for what you put out. Mm-hmm. If you're mad at the young people and you look bitter, they're going to be like, oh, he's just a bitter dude. I don't want to find out who he is. But if you seem interesting and you seem cool, to be older, they gonna move over and they going to check your catalog. If they right. like it, they like it. If they don't, they're going to move on. Right. This is the reason that we do this podcast, because we are actual fans of this type of music. And we have to do our part to make sure that it stays out there, that people know about it. And we can attest to the fact that as real fans of, you know, like you said, adult contemporary hip hop, if you put it out, we're going to find it. We're going to get to it. So just keep putting that content right. out. Everybody's going to find it. If you put it out, people are going to find it. The, the, the average listener isn't just 35, 40. You have young people who like it. And mm-hmm. it's like, I believe if we do what we need to do as artists, we make everyone else's job a lot easier. Like, the money isn't there the way it used to be, but you could create your own. That's and it's like, when you're doing promo, which is like, interviews and stuff like that, if you give a great interview that's informative for young people and it's interesting, they going to want to look into who you are and it's like they'll find your catalog and it's like they'll see that they might like certain records they might not like. It's like, but it'll be on their own score. Right now, radio is a dinosaur. Right, what's popping now is podcasts and, you know, shows where they have interviews and stuff like that because everyone who's young, they want information. Right. They don't want you to tell them like, oh, you know, this is what's hot. No, let me listen to what you got to say. Yo, I like this because they be dropping some shit. Yeah. And that's what they love. Yeah, that's it. Um, that's it. Again, man, just real quick, real quick question. Since this episode is all going to be all about Buckwild, man, run through just your five favorite Buckwild joints of all times. <laughs> I can't do that, man. It's like sometimes <laughs> I don't even know what my five, I don't even know what records I made sometimes. I don't even know why. Because I'm such, I'm, I'm such a hip-hop fan of other people. Like, you know, and let, and let me say this. I remember a time we was doing CNN album. I didn't listen to my records. The only record I listened to was T.O. and Rock. Mm. Because I was so stuck, you know, and that's just a rap fan in me. Yeah. You know, being a rap fan is like, you're not you're always a fan of yourself. I'm not that person to get in your car and just be like, yo, listen to these 10 records I just cut. <laughs> Play my joints, say, yo, Play listen my joints. to these records or such and such. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's just me. So some, sometimes it's hard. You know, I can listen off, off the rip sometimes. I think, all right, shit, if I'm listening to my shit, I want to hear, like, Beanie, take a look at me now. Yeah. I want to hear... Like Fat Joe, the the My Lifestyle remix. Woo. I want to hear OC Burn Me Slow. Mm-hmm. You know, if people don't know that you can you can always go back. And sometimes going back, I might be, I can pick any any record off the you know the album I did with the rare unreleased. Mm-hmm. You know, I might pick up like one of the big old records, which to me one of my favorites is like Danger Zone. Right. 
you know? Right, right. So it might not be the typical Biggie, you know, Jay-Z records, but those are some records that I listen to West like, because it gives me a good vibe. Dope, man. Well, you know, like I said, man, we appreciate you coming on the show. I've been a fan, I, and I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say this. Uh, I was introduced to DITC by my cousin Dwayne, and he fussed me out when we had Finesse on the show, and I didn't shout him out. So <laughs> I just want to, I just want to shout my cousin out, man. He's the biggest, the shout biggest. Out, yeah, let's shout out your cousin Dwayne. Yeah, <laughs> man, he, he's the biggest DITC fan in the world, man. I promise you, you don't have. There's no bigger DITC fan than cousin Dwayne, man. Well, so, I don't, I don't, I don't look at people as fans. I just look at them as comrades. Absolutely, you know absolutely. what I'm saying? Because sometimes. Sometimes the word fan becomes distorted and it's yeah. like they make it fanboy. Nah, those are comrades. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So I believe in that. Cool. Well, cool. It's, it's been an honor to have you on the podcast. We appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it anytime. Cool. I'll probably come back because it's going to be a lot of things that's going to be going on. Definitely. Because definitely. I'm in the midst of putting, putting some more things together. And like I said, it's good to drop knowledge and talk. The conversations that we have like this is a candid conversation. And that's what I believe that people like to hear. They want to hear the real and not just the same typical thing. But Absolutely. like even how we touched on things, I believe it was brilliant. It was dope. And I love the energy. Absolutely. Thank you, man. We appreciate you. All right. I appreciate you, bro. All, All right. right. So hopefully y'all enjoyed our convo with the legendary Buckwild from the legendary DITC crew. Absolutely. And if you didn't enjoy it, we enjoyed doing it. So, <laughs> so <laughs> whatever. <forget> you. <laughs> <laughs> right. So salute to him and salute to everybody from DITC. And hopefully we can get uh, more members from the crew on the show because we definitely enjoy these conversations. Absolutely. All right. So um, reminisce list. Yes. Let's All get right. into the reminisce list. All right. So if you're a new listener, you might not know that the reminisce list is the part of the show where we go in and... We talk about something from the past that we just want to reminisce about and could possibly bring back if we could. Something we miss from either hip-hop culture or just music in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess I'll go first this time. Uh, my reminisce list is going to be something that I definitely would like to see come back. Um, I definitely think it's something that needs to happen, and I'm going to see who I can talk to to make it happen. Oh, you got connections? No, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find out. I think the one thing that I would like to have come back is the random, arbitrary video cameo appearances. So, give me an example. So, prime example, One More Chance remix video. Oh, with just had all the everybody just in fall it. Like, D-Nice, Patra, Heavy D, Queen Latifah. I think my mom was in that video. <laughs> <laughs> you name it, they were in the One More Chance video. Jeanette, they were there. Everyone. Everyone was in that video. And like back in those days, like just think about like. It truly looked like, oh my God, they're just having such a good time. Yeah. They just happened to be shooting a video. Or you'd be watching like a Naughty by Nature video and Tupac would pop up. Or Tupac in the Patra video and romantic right, call. Like right. Tupac was just chilling in the car. Had no business being In the being convertible. There. Yeah, yeah. So like those classic. That's true classic um, videos where people would just pop up just because they would happen to be around in the neighborhood or... Maybe they were label mates. Yeah. Or Or like Puffy in the... um, Well, he was a dancer, but Puffy in like the (laughs) Dougie Fresh video or he's dancing in the middle of the street and then you look back and he's like, oh, that's Puff. That was Puff. Right, Right. exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. All right, what you got? So for my... uh, For this episode's edition of The Reminisce List, I miss uh, how hip-hop would just take things and claim them for its own. Hmm. For example, such as random family vans. 
I miss MPVs and Nautica vans. <laughs> MPVs and Nautica vans. There were no. There was just no reason that those should have been right. Such uh, hip hop staples as vehicles. I think every dope boy and in the mid nineties had listen, an MPV van. Listen. So with the Nautica joints, was the interior Nautica made the interior? Is that why they were Nautica vans? I suppose so. I guess maybe along the same lines as like the Eddie Bauer Jeeps. Hmm. I forgot all about um, those. Yeah, 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 yeah. Eddie Bauer. <laughs> but Jeeps. at least the Eddie Bauer. Well, they weren't Jeeps. They were. They were expeditions. I mean, explorers. Right. Well, I just they mean that explorers. they were a Jeep yeah, yeah, yeah. vehicle. They were, um, you know, that type of vehicle. Right, but trucks, right. the Nautica van and the MPV were like actual like family vans. Right, right. Like soccer mom joints. <laughs> right. That like why did niggas before decide hip hop to... got a hold of yeah, them? Yeah. Like why did they do that? They would have been just total, like you said, soccer mom yeah. vans. And hip hop just took them. Like, and it's funny you say that. MPVs I was, are dope now. I was listening to a podcast. I can't remember who it was, but they were saying. It was a it was a producer, and they said that one the first thing that they got with their money was an MPV. Yes, was it? Um, and they went and got a whole. Wait, lot was of, it Bismarcky on? Quest yes, yes, yes. It was Bismarcky because yeah. he said he got one for him and one for TJ Swan. Maybe I feel like it was Bismarcky. Yeah, no, I mean it was Bismarcky, but he was saying he bought two. Oh, yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think yeah. So. so it was yeah, it was Biz, and he he would keep his records when he would go digging he would get his records and put them in yeah the mpv it's like who didn't have an mpv back in the day right 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 so and yeah. you would see you would, well as a as a woman as a mm-hmm. girl you meet a guy and like under any other circumstances if they came and got you in a family van it would be like right oh but if it was an mpv that was it it was on <laughs> Do they still make MPVs? Nah, right? I don't know. Nah, they, don't, they can't still make MPVs. Probably not. Like, niggas ran MPVs into the <laughs> crown. Like, the, <laughs> the people over at Mazda or whatever the company is, they're like, oh, nah, all of these right. rap videos. Taking without, these back. Nah, this is supposed to be for soccer moms. Like, we're not going to have an MPV in the hood in Brownsville with 15 niggas hopping out with Tims and hoodies on, robbing people. It just goes nah. to show you that hip hop culture can make anything live. Yeah, that's dope. I like it. I like it a whole lot. Yeah. Shout out to the MPV. MPVs fans. and Nautica vans. Yeah. All right, so that's it for this edition of the Can I Kick It podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show. You can check us out on Fresh Radio, also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or just wherever you get your podcast from. You just find us. Yeah, just find us. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook, uh, add us on Instagram, add us on Twitter, all that. And we'll holler at y'all on the next episode. Peace. All right, chill.